All right. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. Father God, amazing worship, amazing family, amazing you, amazing love, and amazing grace. Now that take part in an amazing teaching. We just lift everybody in this room's hearts, open everybody's eyes and ears to hear you and understand what it means to be crucified with you, our Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good prayer, however, I'll uh, adjust expectations. I don't know about, about a great teaching, okay? Just so you know. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I'm, on, I'm on board with that. Um, Oakerlands, uh, you, you, are, you are leaving, so just so you know, um, I'm, I'm killing the youth group uh, after you leave. So it's dead. Uh, youth, you can leave. Uh, we're not having, you know, just joking. I'm just joking, just joking. I lo love children, love the youth group. It's going to be great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is going to be short, I promise. I promise. Okay. Galatians 2, uh, 2021. Title is Gospel Identity. Uh, in the text this morning, we witness Paul Duggan as he fiercely defends the gospel. At the end of chapter 2, in particular, we find him at the end of a very personal section and perhaps the most memorized passage in the book of Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In an initial read, it clearly has a, a sacred ring to it. But what does it mean? What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? Well, I think, packed into two tightly wound sentences, you find a really good definition around what it means to be a true believer in Messiah Jesus. I say Messiah because, as uh, N.T. Wright explains, the Messiah is the locus of Jesus' believer's identity. Calling him Messiah indicates both that he is the fulfillment of God's plan for Israel and that he is now the place where and the means by which his people live, move, and have their being. Jesus is your true position, point, and place. Our embrace of Jesus Christ um, literally changes everything. In two chapters already, Paul has passionately reminded the young Christians in Galatia that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has ushered in an entirely new social and theological reality. 
And I know I'm jumping a bit ahead, but Paul will later write in chapter 3 that this new reality is one where in Galatians 3, 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. As Paul would later write to the Ephesians, the crucifixion has literally broken down the middle wall of separation between God and man. And then Paul elaborates here in chapter 3 that it actually uh, changes the systems and structures within society and within theology and religion. Uh, I'll leave the rest of that for John when he gets there. But uh, I had to take a little bit of a bite, okay? But Jesus, as we see here, through the cross, he has given his people in society and, and in theology, uh, in, in a place that it previously did not exist, he has given them a, a new footing, a newfound footing in the world and in life. And this is important. We need our footing because like John said last week, sometimes our way can get a little wonky. Even though it is available to us, we don't always choose to walk on solid ground. For the Galatians, if you've been with us for any period of time, you know that they allowed a different gospel to coexist in their congregation. A Jesus plus right beliefs and behaviors had sat with them long enough that they were now adopting ceremonial customs and cultures as a necessary pathway into the kingdom of God. And we know from Paul's writing in the first chapter that this gospel is not no gospel at all. And if we're humble, this should resonate with each one of us as we read the text today. You see, historically, whether it's ignorance, arrogance, or amnesia, humans who love Jesus have always had a solid track record of getting derailed. And what's so beautiful about the passage this morning is that it reminds us that only Jesus can get us back on track. Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, is sort of your address for when your way gets wonky. It's your address for when you get lost. Do you remember as a little one in school learning your address for when you got lost? It's one of my most early memories in school. I remember 51A, Spring Canyon, Bisbee, Arizona, 85603, 520-432-4314. So if I ever got lost at the library, Safeway, or, or anywhere else, I could always tell an adult where my address was. And it would find me a way home. You see, as I've thought, and pondered this text, and you think about N.T. Wright's words on the subject of being crucified with Christ, being the locus for every Jesus believer, Messiah follower. Basically, what this text is telling us is that this is our address, this is our home. 
This is, this is who we are and where we reside. It's our position, point, and place as God's people. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. These two sentences, which are actually one sentence in Greek, taken together show us that we are to live out our life on the basis of who we are in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying in this passage that Jesus is your new social and theological reality. He literally has changed He has changed everything for you. No matter what or where life has brought you to, if Christ is your life, then he also is your identity. You are united to him. He is your home. This is our address. Now that's great. Sounds cool. Sounds beautiful. Sounds clever even. But what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? Well, let's look at theology. I'm real happy because I get to dump a couple giant quotes on you today. <laughs> uh, as if you know, I love really like bogging you down in some quotes. Yeah, so it's a personal delight of mine. Timothy George, professor of doctrine at Beeson Divinity, he explains what it means to be crucified in Christ very well, saying, in one sense, this is presumptuous language because the mystery of atonement requires that the death of Christ be unique, unrepeatable, and isolated. The two thieves who were literally crucified with Christ did not bear the sins of the world in their agonizing deaths. On the cross, Christ suffered alone, forsaken by his friends, his followers, and finally, even his father, dying, as Jürgen Moltmann puts it, a, a God-forsaken death for God-forsaken people. With reference to his substitutionary suffering and vicarious death, only Jesus and he alone can be the substitute and vicar. And yet, this was Paul's point. The very benefits of Christ's atoning death, including, all, uh, first of all, justification, are without effect unless we are identified with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Fun fact. 91-year-old uh, theologian Hans Dieter Beetz, uh, you would think he's German, but he's actually American, suggested that Paul's statements on the sacrament of baptism, which is more developed in Romans chapter 6, actually was expanded from the seed of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. But that's just a fun fact. We'll get back to the point. The point is, you can't have Christianity without a total and complete embrace of the cross. You can't. To be crucified with Christ is to see a sacrifice as our security. The totality of the atonement as applied to our lives. To remain outside um, of this is to lose our position, our place, and the point. To seek it somewhere else is to lose it altogether. And so Christ... And being crucified with him is not just a beautiful idea, but it is absolute necessity if we are going to know who we are in this world. 
And again, as I mentioned, we won't go into it too much, but seeking to understand this in any other place, in any other person in this world will lead us into wonky ways, into ultimately being lost. John Calvin, when he talks about being crucified with Christ, he speaks about it in an almost mystical sense. He explains to us why our identity in the crucified Christ is essential and critical because he says, he says, engrafted into the death of Christ, we derive a secret energy from it as the shoot does from the root. Just let that like ponder in your brain for a little bit. Just let that percolate a little bit. Why, is, why are these words helpful? Why is this theology helpful? Well, when my sin is thundering overhead, when it is borderline deafening me and I'm not able to hear anything else, and it has blown me completely off course, no matter how lost I get, I'll always remember who and how to get my life reoriented. When I seek uh, to uh, be perfected and validated in anything else other than the perfect love of God, this, uh, I have to remember this short address to get me repositioned and back on point and back home to my, my, my place. And again, I think the imagery of being a little child lost and knowing the, sim- the simplicity of that address is so critical. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes from the law, then Jesus, the, Jesus died for no point at all. I am crucified with Christ. Why is this helpful? Well, Again, it reminds us what it means to be a Christian, what Christianity is all about. Uh, Gary Combs, the pastor, not the stuntman, says Christianity is not a self-improvement course. (laughs) We are not called to come and do, but to come and die. For the new life is is not self-improvement, but self-denial. We consider our old self crucified with Christ and our new self risen with him to new life. We die to sin, and we also die to self-effort. No longer trying to please God, and I add people, by following some set of religious rules and regulations that we are unable to keep. Dying to self, we live by Christ, trusting in him uh, to live uh, his life in and through us. It's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Paul, in the following chapters, he really dives deeper and really develops uh, how the Holy Spirit is involved in our lives and the necessity of the Holy Spirit being involved in our life. But let me just say at this point that in order to understand the crucified Christ and how he radically transforms our life, the Holy Spirit is critical to this understanding. Timothy George again explains, and this is my last long quote to bog you down in, but he says, the I who has died to the law no longer lives. Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit dwells within, sanctifying our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit and enabling us to approach the throne of God in prayer. 
Therefore, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In this fourth thesis, Paul describes the modality of the Christian life and again reiterated its objective source in the living Son of God and the love that sent him to the cross. The object of this faith is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a rich expression that contains in summary form the whole doctrine of atonement. No impersonal force or cosmic law or eternal, uh, external necessity compelled Christ to die. It was the love of God, unmerited, immeasurable, infinite, that sent Jesus to the cross. Not for his own sake, but for me, he endured the rigors of Calvary. Love, the sheer, vast, perfect love of God is where we have found rescue. But more than just rescue, our actual identity. We know who we are now because God has redeemed us. We have home. We're no longer lost because Jesus has found us. If you know any goodness of God in your life today, it's because he loves you. And he's revealed that to you in the person and work of his son. That's it. That's, that's it, the bottom line. This has to be true. This has to be home. Because as Paul says later in the sentence, the alternative is awful. In verse 21, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If our position is in perfectly living out the law, then we are doomed. And then in a cruel twist of fate, Jesus definitely did not need to die. The cross itself becomes insignificant. We're literally wasting our time sitting here today. We're of, of men most miserable to call back uh, to Paul again. Home then becomes, at worst, subjective, arbitrary, emotional. It's the sort of thing where Western culture sort of finds its, its philosophy today. Arbitrary, emotional, and subjective. And that's at its worst case if we have to ascribe to the law. In, but in it, at its best, if it's at its best, home is, is something temporary because, let's face it, everything goes away in the end. So again, if... If the grace of God is nullified, if righteousness is through the law, and Christ died for no purpose, then at worst, it's subjective, arbitrary, emotional thing that we are ascribing to. Or at best, we're, we're ascribing to something that's temporary because it doesn't last forever. And I have a quote from, I, from Johnny Cash that I think really summarizes it all. It says, everyone goes away in the end. And you can have it all. My empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. That is the right perspective for one who has no hope or home in the work of Christ on the cross. They're looking at it 
from a feelings, subjective-based perspective, or they're putting it in something that will ultimately go away. And both of those perspectives, I don't know about you, are terrifying and depressing. The conclusion really is, I am crucified with Christ, or I have nothing. And every Christian has to ask themselves, is this my dress? Address. Is this my home? Is the person and work of Jesus Christ my all and everything where I find my identity, self-worth, and value? Or is it someplace, some person, something, some, somewhere else? The idea of being crucified with Christ has become truer for me more and more as I continue to grieve the loss of my son. Every day as I think about how hard that is and how much that hurts, the idea of the crucified life and being crucified with Christ becomes truer and truer to me. And yes, the tension between the now and the not yet, it continues to mount over my mind and my heart. And I definitely feel torn. And Beth and I, we often, have this, we oft, we often share this sentiment when we're really thinking about that tension of the now and not yet. Beth and I often will just look at each other and say, this gospel business, it better be true. Because if it's not, it's hopeless. It is utterly hopeless. I was talking to Chris yesterday at a barbecue. We were talking about if the resurrection is not true, it's we're lost. We're, we're, we're hopeless. This business of the gospel better be true. I don't know. It, if, if that is a strong or a weak perspective, I could, prob- I can, um, I could defend both sides of that, just so you know. Um, but I want to close from um, a good friend who I never got to meet and is, is, now, with, is now with Jesus. I feel like he should have the last line in my sermon today. Uh, Tim Keller said, uh, even a weak faith in Jesus is a billion times stronger than a strong faith in anything else. And so, my friends, brothers and sisters, I'll leave you with one question. It's not up there. I just wrote it down. When Jesus isn't my identity... What person, place, or thing is attempting to fill that impossible place that only Jesus can fill? When Jesus isn't my identity, what person, place, or thing is attempting to fill that impossible space that only Jesus Christ can fill and has filled in his death and resurrection? May this line from Paul in an ancient context to an ancient people dealing with similar problems, surprisingly, because humans don't change. May this promise of being crucified with Christ bring home to your hearts when your way is wonky and when you feel lost. Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, love you. And I'm just, I'm pretty thankful for one, that it was a short sermon. I'm pretty sure it was, I think. <laughs> um, but more than that, God, it, it is just so good to know the simplicity and the beauty of, of who you are for your people. Help us to see what you've done and see you as lovely so we 
don't get lost in, on, on rabbit trails. But God, when we, are, when we are far off course, or even, even a little bit off course, God, help us to remember where our home is. We are crucified with you. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.